Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Give me the flaccid dawn with plenty of tailing fish. And the perfect fly rod. Yeah. And get ready for some magic. What an awesome piece! I got one! Oh, damn, I got him, you got it. I got him. Join Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. Nice fish. And help make sure that the magic never ends. Visit tarbone.org to find out how you can help. Megalodon doesn't give an F. <laughs> for most of you, that will make absolutely no sense. <laughs> Actually, for everybody. Except for James Page. What's up, buddy? Northside represent. And Megalodon doesn't care. He doesn't give doesn't a crap. Doesn't care. No craps to give. So, try and use Skype, but apparently when I plug my headphones into the computer, 
it doesn't pick up the microphone. Hmm. Did you verify your settings? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's that. There's that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kayak Fishing Radio. Thursday night, not a typical night for kayak fishing radio. But then again, we haven't really been doing any typical nights for kayak fishing radio at all. It's just kind of been all over the place. So if you're joining us tonight live, kudos to you for following the bouncing ball. We do appreciate you joining us. Uh, Captain Alex is predisposed this evening. He's got the, uh, the kiddo situation to deal with. Kids are going back to school tomorrow. Very excited about that. What do you what do you, what do you have to say about it, kids? Are you guys excited about it too? I'm I'm pretty sure that everybody's excited about it, including parents. Yeah, the kids are stoked. Anyway. We had ourselves a little adventure this past weekend, sir. We did. <clears throat> I gained four pounds. It was a good adventure. I'm pretty positive I gained some weight, too. In fact, I also gained a a whole new respect for Louisiana cooking. Yeah, that's some good stuff, man. Oh, man. Jambalaya was just didn't even make any sense. I'm still thinking about that stuff. It was so good. And Have you uh, been... Have you made beignets? Listen, I have asked my wife on several occasions since being home to make beignets. And she has failed every attempt. Hmm. Or Hmm. lack of attempt. There hasn't been an attempt. Maybe this weekend is the uh, magic trick. Maybe Maybe she needs a weekend. Maybe she needs a Saturday to make beignets. But I need beignets in my life. So if she doesn't Everyone make them, does. I'm going to make them. If she doesn't make them. And she doesn't get any. If I make them. Mm-hmm. Let me know how that so works that. for you. Yeah, right. It's not going to be good. Anyways... So uh, we had a great time down in Louisiana. I appreciate it, as always, uh, spending some time with you, not only fishing, but just hanging out and chatting and talking about all kinds of things, from Argatuthis to Megalodons and such. Experiencing the local culture of Louisiana, or whatever you want to call it. The flavor. The flavor. Yes. I guess Sunday when we hit that crowd trying to go to Cafe Du Monde, I guess there was an underwear parade that was going to happen later that day that we missed, which would explain some of the outfits we saw. Mm. Yeah, underwear. That, that yeah. Would, that's mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, re- not really bummed that I missed that. Well, you did, yeah, you didn't some have of the your people pink, I saw walking around. You, you didn't bring your pink thong with you, so you couldn't participate. So there's that. 
Listen, sir, don't think for a second that I didn't have the pink thong with me. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, listen, let, let, me, let me explain the pink thong situation. Because if you're new listening to the show and you think for a second that there's this pink thong that I actually wear for the intentions of wearing said pink thong as a fashion statement, you are sorely mistaken. Rather, it's used as a deterrent for other anglers. See, when you stand on the bow of a skiff or stand up in your kayak and you want to be left alone on a flat because you got people showing up and they're all over the place, all you have to do to guarantee a quiet fishing environment is whip out the old pink thong backwards. Men. Men. This is for guys. Because if you're a chick and you bust out a pink thong and you're fishing on a flight, you will not be alone. Unfortunately. But as a guy, when you peer across a flat and you see a man gorilla Sporting a pink thong backwards, splitting the giblets. You stay away. Which, coincidentally, in Louisiana, you don't need to worry about because on a weekend we saw, what, three boats the first day, four boats the next day? Yep, it was pretty crowded. And that was after, like, running 15 miles. Yeah. And that was in how many hmm. thousand acres of marsh, you think? Uh, Hundreds of no thousands idea. of acres of marsh. Yeah. Yes. Huh. So, anyways, the uh, the fishing was interesting. See, so let, let me start with this. So, for years and years and years, I've dreamt of fishing Louisiana. I've dreamt of the marsh. I have envisioned myself fishing said marsh. I have even gone so far as to tie flies specifically for stupid redfish prior to any trip to to Louisiana. I've never had a trip. It was my first one. But I have tied flies in the past that I said to myself, self these flies are going to be for Louisiana fish because I hear Louisiana fish are stupid. So this is, this is the extremely honest version of the first 30 minutes on a bow of a skiff being guided by a local Louisiana guide. The first day we were with who? Brandon. Brandon. Do we know Brandon's guide business name? Uh, Southern Fly Adventures, maybe? All right. Well, Brandon was awesome. He ran a uh, Maverick, I believe, a Maverick HPX. Yeah, yeah it was a Maverick. And, uh, I don't have my ring so I can't do anything right now. That's all right. No worries. And it was a, it was a beautiful boat. 
Um, ran amazing. Brandon takes us straight to a spot, pulls into this little cut, and uh, the cut opens up into a small bay. And all of a sudden, broomtail-sized black drum are tailing. Not not herds of them, a few of them. I'm expecting this. See, because again, let's back up. I've never fished Louisiana. I don't know how to approach these fish. I hear tale of smash them in the face and they'll eat. Like that's pretty much what you hear people say. But when you grow up on the space coast of Florida before the water turned to poop, you teach yourself to constantly lead fish, right? 15 feet, 10 feet, whatever. But if you land anywhere within maybe five feet of most of our fish, they're gone. When I tell you fine folks that we were within three to four feet at one time, a foot off the bow of a skiff from a 40-pound black drum, and this 40-pound black drum had no clue we were there. I am not lying. I didn't even know what to do. Like everything in my soul told me to lead these fish. Cast out in front of them, let the fly hit the water, let it sink. Slow, slow strips. Little bump, little bump. And meanwhile, I got the guide in my ear telling me, hit him in the head. Drop it on his lips. What's that? I said that's 100% correct. Yeah, and then I hear sometimes we just throw the fly at him. Like not throw it with the rod, not cast. Like literally take the fly in your hand and throw it at the fish. Because they're so close to the boat, you can't cast a nine-foot fly rod with a maybe uh, what we started off with is nine foot leaders, which we then shrunk down to four and five foot leaders because apparently it doesn't make a difference how short your leader is in Louisiana because these fish are stupid. And I got denied, 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 denied. So after watching me get denied, a few times, James is like, get off the bow. <laughs> I actually gave up, and I was willing to give the bow up because I knew I had nothing for him. However, it was still a very interesting experience watching these fish just materialize in the murk, pop up within feet of the boat, 
and not run off like they just got scared, just kind of disappear back in the murk. Legitimate 40-plus pound black drum. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. You know, I, I sat back and I thought about it when we got back to the hotel. And I was like, what would you have done differently with this black drum? And there's nothing. Like, I couldn't have, I couldn't have done anything any different, really. I think the only thing we could have done a little different on the black drum was shorten up the leader a little bit before we started. Start off with a right. seven foot leader. And that fly you had was a it was a little light weight wise. Um and shorten up the leader means including shorten up the butt section. Um mm-hmm. shorten up the leader, shorten up the butt section to about a three foot butt section. And then maybe one or two pieces off of that just to turn over a little bit, go with a little bit heavier fly. And I know one thing I didn't do on the first day, I was throwing a two a number two uh, hook. Those bigger fish, like that first red hook on that first day that the hook pulled because it was dull. But really, those bigger fish really need a two-aught hook. You know what I mean? You need to be able to get around that lip a little bit better. And the, that bunny strip fly I tied. I tied two of them with different sized lead eyes, but I tied them both on number two hooks. I don't know why. I should have tied one on a two aught and one on a two because the second day that number two hook was fine on that red I landed. But I'm thinking a bigger hook, a two aught hook with um, heavier lead eyes to get that fly down real quick. Yeah. Like, no, they're not scared that. of it. Down, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the challenge... So Bob Bell's joining us in the chat room. Mr. Bell. To me, Mr. the challenge Bell, over there is... You think, go oh, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, to me, the challenge over there is you fish it just about opposite of how you fish in Florida. Just about anywhere in Florida. You know what I mean? Well, it ain't, it ain't opposite. It is literally everything that you're taught to do in fly fishing or fishing, you just throw it out the window. Because, you know, no matter where you're fishing, you don't normally want to strike the fish you want to catch in the forehead with the lure or the bait or the fly that you're trying to present. Like literally that one fish that you that you threw at and uh, ended up landing, you, you made a perfect cast to it in Louisiana terms. Plopped it right on their head. And if you did that anywhere else with a redfish, they'd be gone. Like, just gone. And, and same thing with my fish. You know, when I spotted my fish up against the grass, I, my fly literally landed in the grass. And I kind of popped it out of the grass, and it landed on the, in the middle of his back. And he still ate it. Like, <laughs> just like we were talking about in the boat, if we had spinner rods in our hands with, with soft plastics, it would have been a massacre. 
for sure. Because all of those fish, like the ones that I was on when we came into that one area, there was several fish that had shot out of that creek. Um, I think that after they had left, if you, you know, and scattered, I think if you would have fired a cast in the direction in which they went traveling down into the creek, or not really the creek, you know what I mean, the cut, um, you'd have had a pretty darn good chance at, at getting those fish to eat, even after they kind of somewhat spooked out. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. That wouldn't, that wouldn't even be. If you had soft plastics on a spinner rod, that would have just been ugly. You know, and, and I think about that from time to time. I think about whether or not do I, do I really do I really want to continue to exclusively fly fish? Like, I mean, I love fly fishing. Don't get me wrong. It is, it, it is probably, without a doubt, my main passion in fishing. However, there's just something sometimes about going out with a handful of Slayer Inc. SSTs and just ripping fish's faces off all day. Maybe like I can interject that every now and again into a few different fishing trips. Like maybe one trip a month and just go out and just slaughter fish, not actually kill them release all of them because we need them. But just go out and do work with the, with the plastic. Just get out of your system? And just get it out of my system. Like, I don't mind going out and fishing with a fly rod all day long and not catching anything. It doesn't bother me. I don't get angry. I don't get mad. I don't get depressed. Because to me, it's more about the actual experience on the water. And you get to watch things happen that when you're casting fly gear, I mean, when you're casting spinning gear, you don't normally get to see. Because you're not paying that much attention to what's right around the boat or the kayak. Because you tend to look further away from where you're sitting you know, or where you're standing. You know, I could throw I could throw a Slayer Inc. SST on a 16th ounce jig head, a country mile, with 10 pound braid, just literally sling it. I mean, so far that even if there was a fish lane in a pothole out that way, I wouldn't be able to see it from that distance. Right. But when you do that, you tend not to look down and around the boat. You tend to watch where you're bait is ish right where you think your bait is because you want to see a push or you want to see that big swirl when when your fish finds that plastic and i feel like while you're doing that a lot of times you bump fish with your kayak or with skiff or whatever you're in you bump fish that you just kind of drift into that if you had been paying attention you may have had a shot at them if you weren't just flinging wild casts everywhere, which is what most of us do when you're throwing soft plastics, you're just fan casting, you know, nine to three or three to nine back and forth. And, you know, 
that's kind of how I've always done it anyways. You know, I might would start off throwing from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock, and then when I come back from 3 o'clock to 9 o'clock, I might vary up the way in which I retrieve that lure. Right. To give it a little bit of a different movement or whatever. Maybe I'm trying to figure out what the reaction bite would, would – what the reaction needs to be or what the bait needs to do to get the reaction bite from a fish. Maybe it's not just a steady retrieve. Maybe it's popping it up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, let it, then roll it for a little while, then pop, 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 then let it roll for a little while. You know what I mean? So I, I always do that no matter where I'm fishing. If it's here in the Florida, if it's, you know – the Carolinas, wherever I'm fishing, if I'm if I'm throwing plastics, that's the way I've always done it. I mean, for bass, for 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 everything. And you know, I think it's important to remember the fact that sometimes, as anglers, especially with spinning gear or casting gear, conventional gear in your hand, don't don't forget to look around your vessel as you're drifting across the flat because there's a lot of times where you don't see that fish until you're right up on top of it, you know? So it's, you know, I just did a seminar for the Flagler County sport fishing club, um, Tuesday. And first of all, let me give them a huge shout out. So the Flagler County sport fishing club has a series of tournaments they do throughout the year. I'm still not a big fan of their kayak tournament because of the fact that it's still not catch photo and release. They do a live weigh-in for that, which <laughs> I've spoken to them a few times about it, and I know eventually they're going to get there, but um, not real big. I'm not real big on that. They know that it's not a secret. Anyway, um, however, they do they do a bunch of boat tournaments. They do more boat tournaments than they do kayak tournaments. The kayak tournament's like a once a year thing, maybe twice a year. Um, but in their boat tournament they have coming up, they have a special prize, which is cooler full of joy. You know what that is? A cooler full of joy? Yeah. No. What's joy? I don't know. I think I think that uh, the cooler full of joy is a cooler full of liquor, full uh, of bottles of liquor, which would make sense. I don't drink. I don't drink, so you know. Yeah, I know. Now, so, he, but anyway, he, a, if it's a cooler full of hundred dollar bills, that'd be joy right there, not. Well, I mean, you can turn the bottles of liquor into hundred dollar bills at a <laughs> at a fishing tournament, I guess, off <laughs> the back of the truck, but. Anyway, um, so they have two, they actually have two coolers full of joy. Now, here's the thing. So they're getting ready to do a tournament this year where the proceeds are going to go to the Children's Miracle Network slash Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital. I'm a huge fan of this. Mm-hmm. Nothing in the world makes me happier than to hear a fishing club do a tournament to raise money for either one of those amazing organizations. Um, I don't have to tell you guys my backstory with Logan, but anytime that something can come about to raise money for something like that, I'm, I'm, I'm all in into whatever I can do to help out. So uh, 
we're sitting there and listening to these guys tell tell or explain what exactly is going to happen with this tournament. And uh, the guy who's going to be running it, his wife is a, is a manager of a local Walmart up there. And she actually was the one who said that it sounds like a good idea to do a fishing tournament to raise money for this cause. So Walmart is backing the tournament. And they've secured tons and tons of raffle prizes and stuff from different vendors and such that they deal with. Obviously, Walmart probably has the largest vendor list of any uh, retail store on the planet, right? I mean, come on, it's Walmart. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, one of the they have two coolers full of, two coolers of joy, one of which will be raffled off. The other one, you can only be, um, you can only be entered to win if you release the fish in which you've caught alive after the weigh-in. For every fish that you release alive, you get a chance to win the cooler of joy. I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome because let's face it, folks, and we're not going to do this all night long. I promise. The state of Florida seriously needs some help. Our fish species, our fish stock needs some help. Granted, we're talking Flagler County, which is an hour and 20 minutes north of me, by the way, the crow flies. Um, so, you know, it doesn't really affect, or does it really affect my backyard fishery? Yeah, it could. I mean, those, those fish could travel down here, I suppose. I mean, it, I don't think it, I don't think redfish are known to be global travelers or or you know long distance travelers. I'm pretty sure they have their set kind of area and they kind of hang out there for most of their life. But anyway, I just think it's awesome, and I think other tournaments, especially inshore tournaments, should follow suit um, with that. But anyway, I digress. So I'm doing this seminar for Flagler County, and and I'm dis- and I'm discussing summertime tactics to find fish, um, not not species-specific, but just fish. Flagler County area is very highly tidal, lots of water movement. They have oyster bars, they've got riffraff, they've got um, you know, mangroves and all kinds of stuff. So they've got a lot of structure to fish up there. So in the summertime when we get these rains and all this kind of thing that normally happens in the summertime, the water does tend to get a little dirty. Water tends to be a little dirty anyway in tidal areas with oyster bars and so on and so forth. Anyhow, just by the nature of the beast, most of the time when you find oysters, you also find what? Mud. Um, So if you've got boat movement and stuff, the water could be dirty. So why would you want to throw a soft plastic that may or may not have a lot of scent on it when you can throw something natural that would smell better to a fish, whatever, whatever. The answer is very simple. All fish, all predatory fish have a lateral line of some kind. They have a lateral line that has different nerve endings in it that allow for the fish to be able to pick up the vibration that's given off by prey items. Why, Chuck, do you pick to use Slayer Ink lures? The same reason why I've used Slayer Ink lures for the last, umpteen years since Chris since he made them is because the Slayer Inc. paddle tail throws off more vibration than any other on the market that I've ever thrown. It's not just the tail. It's the body and the tail combination. If you've never fished them, then you might not know what I'm talking about. If you've fished them, then you will understand what I'm about to say. 
when you throw a Slayer Inc. SST, just a standard Slayer Inc. SST, not the XL, just the normal old little SST, on a 16-ounce jig or on a weedless hook or whatever, when you cast it, as soon as it hits the water and you come tight and you start to retrieve it, you feel a wobble thump. It's like a wobble thump, wobble, 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 thump, 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 all at the same time. And what that is is literally the bait shimmying back and forth, rocking back and forth, and that big tail flip-flopping back and forth. Basically, it's like ringing a dinner bell. That's why I say yep. when you're, if you – go ahead. Don't forget their jig heads. Oh, yeah, 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 jig heads. That's what I'm saying. The jig heads, too. The jig heads help the process. So – Yep. Um, and I fish I, – I don't fish weedless hooks very often. And I'll tell you why I don't like to fish weedless hooks. In order for you to get a really solid hook set fishing with a weedless hook, everything has to happen perfectly. When the fish comes down and bites down on that soft plastic, if he doesn't compress that bait in such a way that opens up the gap of the hook to where you can actually get some meat of the hook in that fish's face, you will more than likely lose said fish. You'll have him on for a few seconds because he's going to bite down and hold on to it and whatever. But I have lost more fish to weedless hooks than anything else I've ever fished. If a fish short strikes a soft plastic on a weedless hook, again, biting down on more of the Barb, I mean, more of the point of the hook coming down on top of the point of the hook, not necessarily getting past that up towards the eye of the hook. You have a really, really hard time getting good hook penetration. Not with a jig head. <laughs> if he puts his mouth on it, he is done. If he sucks that, if he sucks a jig head into his mouth and you feel that thump and you rear back and rip his face off, as I like to say, you are stuck to that fish. He is not coming loose. Unless, of course, he gets his head down on the bottom and rubs his face and enough times, or if it's a tarpon and he jumps and spits it, it's just going to happen because tarpon are Houdini and floundered the same way. If you lift their head above the water, you're going to lose them too. So I prefer to throw a jig head. I prefer to throw a 16-ounce jig head. I'll go to an eighth if I need to, but I prefer to throw a 16-ounce if I can get away with it because I don't need a lot of weight. I'm not fishing deep water. I'm fishing shallow water. Even in Louisiana, everywhere we went, the water was shallow. I mean, it's shallow water. It's just the nature of the beast. You're not fishing deep stuff. So, you know, you can get away with throwing a 16-ounce jig head. And there was nothing in any of the areas that we fished that would have stopped me from throwing a jig head. Not, I didn't see any, any obstructions really besides the grass along the, along the edges that might have convinced me at some point to quit doing it if I had to keep casting into the grass to kind of drop it on their face as opposed to just smack them in the head. But there again, they're Louisiana fish. They like to get smacked in the head. You know, and, and, and I know normally on the show, the last, the last few years, I've talked a lot about fly, a lot about fly. And I know that we don't have a lot of fly angler listeners to the show. And so, trust me when I tell you, I, I, I understand when you guys send me messages and stuff and ask me, hey, can you talk more conventional stuff? Or, hey, shut your mouth and let Alex talk more because he talks conventional stuff or whatever. 
I get it. Because if you're not into it, you don't want to listen to it. You don't want to hear about it. But uh, as I described to the Flagler County Sport Fishing Club, there's, there's, there's really one bait that you can throw 365 days out of the year, no matter where you are in salt, or heck, really even in the fresh, and have good results. And that is a shad tail or paddle tail style bait. Because everything eats a minnow. Just the same as everything in the south eats a shrimp. No matter where you go, if you go up into uh, New England and you're looking for stripers and blues, if you throw an SST in bunker color or Arkansas glow or uh, molting or pearl white or any of those colors, yeah, gosh, I'd love to go back up north and and have a bag full of SSTs and SSTXLs and molting and just do work on stripers. Um, it's going to work up there. It's going to listen. I was in where did where did Stan and Holly live? Charleston. Yeah, I was in Charleston at Stan and Holly Jones's house uh, on our way up to the, the Boondoggle in uh, Virginia Beach, and I walked out behind. Uh, Stan's house, he had a little retention pond back there, and I threw uh, SST and molting on a jig head in this little retention pond, and I slayed the little bass. And I called him, I was like, hey man, I've been catching bass in your backyard, and he was like, what? He's like, I've been trying to catch bass in my backyard and, you know, for a while now, and I can't get, I don't have a whole lot of luck. And I was like, I just threw Slayer Inks, and I ate them. It, it's, a, it's a bait that literally will work anywhere you go. Any species that you typically want to fish for, any game fish species that you're going to be looking for, uh, I've caught I've caught small dolphin offshore with them. Alex has slayed the triple tail on them. Uh, I know guys have caught cobias on them. Sensi's caught plenty of cobias on them. I've caught tons of tarpon on them. I mean, it's universal bait. It's to me, it's it's the modern day spoon, right? Back in the day, a spoon was like that. You throw a spoon, throw a spoon for everything. Everything will eat a spoon, and they'll still eat a spoon. Fish don't change. It's just like we were talking. I was on um, uh, Joe Hector's podcast, and we were talking about bass fishing and how I, if I go bass fishing, I don't do anything new. I'm not. I don't buy whopper ploppers. I don't have umbrella rigs. I don't mess with new technology when it comes to catching a bass because a bass is a bass is a bass. A bass is a ditch pickle that is basically a glorified freshwater grouper. If you put it in front of them and piss them off with it enough, they're going to eat. I've caught thousands of bass, and I've caught hundreds of giant bass. Again, being fortunate enough to have grown up in Central Florida, that's not that big a deal, like, not when you live on an area that's full of retention ponds and small lakes and tributaries catching five to eight to ten to twelve to you know up to 15 pound bass literally you know it, it i did all that stuff before i turned 18 and they all eat the same thing <laughs> they would all eat a, a an eight inch corporate worm in crawdad color rig texas style or they'd eat a finesse fish like shiner color finesse fish uh, jerkbait rigged on an unweighted weedless hook because I didn't know nothing about weighted weedless hooks. I don't even think they were even a thing then. Um, 
you know, so I don't, I don't, I didn't, I don't change. I didn't try. I don't try to reinvent the wheel. I promise you, you find a big fat sow bass sitting on the bed. She will eat anything you put in front of her if you make her mad enough. Just like a peacock down in South Florida, peacock bass are the exact same way. They're a bass, a cichlid technically, but I mean they're they are in the bass family. But they uh, they they will eat anything you put in front of them if you make them mad enough, or they'll swim up to it and blow it out of the bed. <laughs> there you go. We've seen that, right? I'm glad you caveated that. They will. They'll swim up. It's the craziest thing, is it not? When, you, when you're sitting there and you're looking at a couple of peacock bass sitting there and you drop a fly right on their head and, like, perfect, right in front of them, and rather than swimming away in terror or smashing it to eat it, they literally will blow air through their mouth, I mean, blow water through their mouth and push it out of, out of the way, like push it off the bed or push it off the rock or push it out of the way where they're sitting to get it out of the way. They don't even want to touch it. And I think that, I mean, that's a different, that's, I, I have never seen a largemouth do that. I've got mm-hmm. a lot of largemouth on bed, on beds, unfortunately. I'm not proud of that because I, now being older, I understand the importance of leaving those fish alone so that the big female doesn't get stressed out and doesn't prematurely lay her eggs and the next generation doesn't happen because I thought I needed to have a picture with a big bass. Um, but. I've never seen a largemouth do that. Have you? No, I have not. I've seen them pick up things in their mouth, carry them, and then oh, drop yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. I've seen almost a 10-pound a ten pound female pick up a turtle the size of my fist that was easing up to the bed, picked up the turtle. Turtle sucked into his shell, swam way off, and then spit the turtle out. And and you know what's funny is if, if you get a big female to do that, if you get her to pick it up, like normally, and they're smart. It's weird. They It's almost as if they know if I grab it by the tail end and just carry it out of the bed and spit it, they'll go away and it, it won't bother me anymore. Instead of trying to kill it, they just kind of gently pick it up and move it. And yep. about the seventh or eighth or ninth or twentieth time that you do that, eventually – if the if the smaller male doesn't swim in to smash it, eventually she's going to do it. She's going to come in and just inhale it, and then that's it. But the peacock doesn't do that. The peacock, or, or maybe it, maybe they do that too. But the blowing of the water to move the fly out of the way is honestly probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen. With a that's fish. because they're sissies. Sissies. That's because they're sissy fish. Hmm. Megalodon well, wouldn't do that. No, Megalodon sure as heck wouldn't do that. Megalodon doesn't give an ass. Nope, Megalodon don't care. <laughs> we found out some interesting factoids, or actually, we shared some interesting factoids with the guides that we fished with in Louisiana. We let them know that little-known fact: Megalodon and Argatuthis both like to come into the marsh of Louisiana to spawn. Very few people know that. <laughs> it's true. Anyway. Um, but the, my point is, is that when thinking about lure selection, fly selection, any of those types of things, 
I think it's very, very important that we consider the simpler route or the less expensive route. Like, look, man, there's no reason why any lure, I don't care what it is, if you can throw it on a spinning rod, should not cost more than 15 bucks. Like, I see $40 plugs. I see $25 lures. Like, I, I, I personally would never spend that kind of money on a lure that there's a good possibility I'm going to snag a rock or throw it into a tree or whatever. I just can't do it. There's nothing that's being made in that market today that I think is any more deadly than an old school pop bar or an old school um, skitter walk or an old school uh, Zara spook. Like tiny nothing, torpedo. No, or a tiny torpedo. Thank you. Yes. Or, or a, uh, or chug bug. I mean, there's the list goes on and on and on of, of lures, old school mirror lures. Like there's there's tons of things that still work today, just as good as they worked 20 years ago, because we're talking about a fish with the brain the size of a of a pea. Like we're not talking about a, a, a highly intelligent species that's going to swim up and look at your lure and say, "Oh, you got three treble hooks. I'm not eating it." Or Oh, look at that. That's fancy. The back end flops around in circles, like a whopper plop, whopper plop, or whatever they call it. You know, I, I get it. It works. It creates, it creates attention. Fish come up and smash it. That's awesome. But my point is, is that what we used to use back then still works just, look at, great example, a bucktail jig. A bucktail jig. Nothing has come oh, along that has changed that has changed the bucktail jig really in any form or fashion to make it do anything other than what it has done for however long bucktail jigs have been around forever, for a long time. Same thing. I bought into the hype once. I bought a spoon one time. Baby, can you grab my Gatorade? Um, I bought a spoon one time that had rattles in it. Actually, I bought probably a dozen and a half of them because they were on clearance at Walmart, which should have been a clue. But anyway, um, they work. I've caught fish on them. The Red Red Ripper is the company that makes one with a little rattle chamber inside of it. And um, But at the end of the day, what's really drawing the attention? Is it the flash? Is it the vibration? Flash. Is it the rattle? Right? The flash, typically. The flash uh-huh. is what draws the attention. This segment is brought to you in part by, uh, actually it's not, I wish it was, Gatorade Fierce, bold and intense melon flavor, thirst quencher. Megalodon drinks fierce. Megalodon drinks beer? Fierce. Fierce. Yeah, of course he does. What do you think? He can't drink smooth. Nope. He's not a not a smooth type of character. He's definitely a fierce mm-hmm. individual. Which, by the way, the Megalodon movie looks absolutely ridiculous. Like, I mean, as if we should expect anything other than ridiculousness when it comes to trying to do another shark movie. There's nothing terrifying about this movie. Nothing, anything that I've seen so far as far as the, uh, the coming attractions. Come on. 
50, 60, it's a 50 to 60 foot long shark that's going to swim down the beach and open its mouth and eat like 90 surfers at one time. Great. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like cheesy mm-hmm. factors almost up there with uh, Sharknado. Sharknado. Which we discussed as well in depth on the boat. But, you know, so I think that no matter where you go, no matter where you're fishing, whether it's on the Gulf Coast, the Atlantic Coast, the Pacific Coast, anywhere you go. A couple of things that you should bring with you just to make sure that you have a great trip and you have, you know, an opportunity at some some legit success. A couple hard baits, possibly, if you're throwing conventional stuff and spin stuff. A couple hard baits. I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for actual wood turn plugs. I, there's, I don't, I don't get the satisfaction of catching a fish as like I do when I throw a, a handmade, hand-turned wooden plug that walks like no plastic plug could ever dream of. K4 Lure Company, or K4 Lure Building, I think is what um, is what it's known by. To me, is without a doubt the the best um the best plug I have personally ever thrown. Have you seen them? I have. K four lore building. Sorry. They're out of South Carolina. And um I highly recommend you guys check out his Facebook page. He's only got three hundred and fifty one likes, which is a crime because I'm telling you right now worth every penny those lures are worth every penny now listen remember earlier when I said that I wouldn't spend a bunch of money on a plug on a lure about I don't know 10 minutes ago I take that back the only time that I would spend that kind of money on a plug or on a lure is if a guy literally hand turned it and hand-built it, and hand-painted it, because that's that there's way more to it than a production line plug. There's, that's way, way more labor-intensive. And when you're shaping a wooden plug to do a very specific thing, like walk the dog or dive or, you know, run on its side like an injured bait fish or whatever – there's a lot of skill involved in that, a lot of trial and error, and a heck of a lot of R&D. So, uh, you know, give K4 Lore Building a like on, on social media. Tell them you heard, him, heard about him on our show. I would greatly appreciate it, as I know he would too as well. And that's Noel Rogers. And, by the way, if you just so happen to uh, decide to buy yourself one of Noel's plugs, ask him for the RC mullet color because, I mean, I'm kind of partial to it. Redfish chuck mullet color. Pretty awesome. Uh, Last year, I fished the RCI tournament. I threw his plug exclusively and uh, stroked a beautiful almost 28-inch trout and should have won the Calcutta but got beat by a few small short inches and was really upset. But Nonetheless, still caught a beautiful fish on it. I've caught tons of fish on them, in fact. Um, great plugs. 
And he does make them with sound chambers in them as well, if you're wondering. He does make them with rattles. And his rattles are like, at least in the ones that I've thrown, are phenomenal. They're not super, super loud. So um, it's like a very subtle knock, kind of like a, a pig fish or like a croaker. But I digress. Hard baits. Bring yourself a couple hard baits. Soft plastics. Paddle tails. Something that looks like a minnow. Again, I highly recommend Slayer Rigs because they work. Chris is a good friend of mine. I'm not sponsored by Chris. I'm not on the, the bro staff. He didn't have one of them. And, you know, it's just, it's just real world lures that work. Um, flies, Clouser minnow. Clousers in all sizes. And then you can kind of caveat off of that, whatever, whatever you know, in whatever creation you want to whip up on your vice to take with you to see if something will eat it is fine. But you, I can guarantee you, no matter where you go in the in the whole world, something will eat a clouser minnow. Correct. Correct. So, um, for flies, going I would get, say. Get, go ahead, sir. I'm sorry. I would say clouser, deceiver, seducer. Whistler, popping bug. That's it. And a marking yeah. crab pattern. Marking. Yeah. Producers your shrimp pattern. Marking your crab pattern. Popping bug, clouser, and a deceiver. And you're done. That's a good list. You know me, though. There's going to be a quan in the box somewhere. I'll hide oh, one, yeah. even if it's the wrong color. Um, but, uh, or sometimes you just bring an entire box full of the wrong color and then you get on the guide's boat and he's got the color fly that you figured you would, you would bring, but, uh, you still didn't tie it on. I wanted to tie one on so bad and throw it and catch a fish on one just to be like, yeah, well, they still work here too, but, um, <laughs> you saw how so, muddy that so, water was. I know. Still would have worked. Come on, man. Shrimp are still clearish, tannish, brownish with the chartreuse-ish in their tail. It would have worked. Whatever. Um, maybe then you just add, like, you know what you could do? You know what? Next, if I get to go back to Louisiana, I'm going to bring a few quans that I will tie with a chartreuse um, polar fiber tail mm-hmm. and yeah, a that'll work. body. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so anyways, so the fish in there was interesting. The fish are stupid. If you hit them in the face, they'll eat. Um, that's great. The food, ridiculous. Ridiculous. Growing up in Long Island, New York, up until the time I was around 9 or 10 years old, uh, we used to go to the, the, the uh, county fair. <clears throat> I believe it was the county fair. It might have been the city fair, but I, it, I was a kid. I don't remember. It was a big fair. I remember that. And, of course, you had the typical popcorn wagon. You had the uh, candy apple wagon. You had the cotton candy guy, you know, I, uh, snow cones and that kind of thing. We had this amazing creation called a Zeppeli. And the Zeppeli essentially is a much, much smaller version of a beignet. And 
it, it too is covered in powdered sugar. Like you get a bag full of these things. They usually you used to give them out in a white paper bag, and you just shake the bag until you coat every single Zeppeli with as much powdered sugar as you could possibly get on it. I was not prepared to bite into a beignet and be instantly sent back to those times. Like it's one of those things. You know, everybody has that that food item. I've got a couple of them. I'm kind of a foodie when it comes to some of those things. But everybody has that food item that you can consume and then almost immediately be transported back to another time in your life where you're like, wow, <laughs> that was like really good. And I'm, I'm really glad to say that the uh, beignets that we had at, um, what's the other place? Cafe, Cafe du Monde. Sorry, Cafe du Monde. I'm very glad to say that the beignets that we had there far exceeded my expectations. Maybe very happy. Like, just smiling on the inside, smiling on the outside like an idiot, taking pictures of it for, for Instagram and Facebook. Meanwhile, James is over there consuming his. Like, if, if you don't eat them right away, someone's going to come and steal them from you. And I felt bad because he, had, yeah, I'm sure they will. Um, I felt bad because you had to sit there for a little while while I was busy sending just pictures of my beignets and, um, you know, admiring the moment. You're right though when they're when they're fresh and they come out and they're warm and it's just it's it's heaven. It's 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 heaven. There's no other way to describe it. It's that's if I had to choose a dessert for a final meal, it may be that dessert. It might would be that because it's just it's like everything. It's 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 got like a donutty kind of a flavor, but it's airy as all get out, and it's covered in powdered sugar. And let's let's face it, you you can cover a lot of things in powdered sugar and make them taste good. To me. That combination of, of the airiness, the warmth, and the powdered sugar is just – and there's a flavor to it, too. There's, some, there's a flavor to that dough that reminds me of the Zeppelis. It's, it's like literally the same flavor, and it's just – it's great. It's amazing. So if you get a chance and you go down to Louisiana or you're, you're at your local fair and somebody is making Zeppelis or someone is making beignets or, you, you know, whatever you want to order – to mix online and make it yourself at home or whatever you want to do, you owe it to yourself to indulge in some beignets. And, I, and again, it was one of those things that as soon as I landed, I was like, well, I hope we get to, hope we get to do this. Hope we get to do the, the beignets. Me and you talked about that for weeks leading up mm-hmm. to the trip. Yep. Did not disappoint. Also, uh, Fried crawfish is amazing. I think the flavor of a crawfish tail trumps that of a shrimp. It's, it's definitely different than a shrimp. It doesn't taste anything like the same to me. I could taste a, a clear difference between a crawfish tail and a shrimp. Uh, oh, definitely. I feel, I feel like the crawfish tail is much sweeter than a shrimp. And it, it, it very much resembles that of a lobster in, in a lot of ways and makes sense because they, they look the same. I mean, I guess that's probably why, but, 
but it's definitely better than fried shrimp. And uh, again, the Acme, the Acme Oyster yep. House, yep, has the best jambalaya I have ever tasted. Period. And apparently, that's kind of like a chain restaurant there, is it not? I don't know. I just found that by accident. Really? Yeah, because, you know, Drago's in Metairie was closed on Sunday. So I just did a search for, um, you know, Cajun restaurants, and it came up. Hmm. I was like, oh, look at it. So, I don't know. Yeah, that was but a total... Either way. Yeah, either way. If you're in and around crazy. the New Orleans area and you get an opportunity to go looking for something to eat, you cannot go wrong with that place. Uh, it was really, really good. I enjoyed my meal tremendously. And then I ended up, uh, you had the bread pudding, right, for dessert? Yep, yep. And I had a massive root beer float, which made me made my belly very happy and almost comatose me on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh Oh man, just a fun place. Just a, this is a really neat, you know. And, and the thing about it, it's like, as 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 even though we fished out of skiffs, I don't know that in that particular area where we were at, I don't know that I would really want to fish from a kayak. Personally, yeah, that area, mm-hmm. I would say not. With that, without yeah. some local knowledge, without some local knowledge to say, oh yeah, well we don't have to go out that way. There's this little tiny cut to get out of and go through and whatever uh, to get into the marshy area. Because I didn't see any of that. All I saw was a whole lot of pedaling or paddling to get to where we were at, uh, which would that would not have happened. I'd, I'd, have, I'd have turned around probably at the first cut by the rocks. I probably would have been like, yeah, okay, that's an elbow. Let's fish the rocks. Like, <laughs> I'm going to give up yeah. right here, and I'm just going to do this. Um, but now, I will I have say. Fished, go ahead. I have fished out of the kayak on the way to Grand Isle, Louisiana. Grand Isle mm-hmm. is a bare island in Louisiana, one of the few that has a road to it, road slash combination bridges, and it's got, basically a little two-lane road going through marsh, hopscotching over dry land and bridges, and um, there's you can basically throw off the side of the road and paddle five minutes and be in fish on the way out on that little causeway, but there's a lot of private water, which is something you ought to talk about, the difference between Florida and Georgia and East Coast and private and public water in the salt. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of places where you can paddle just a few minutes out toward Grand Island and be in the fish, but there's a lot of private water you have to fish around and you can't go fish it. Yeah, that was definitely interesting. Um, I have I have honestly never seen that before. That was a first for me. Um, being miles and miles and miles out in the marsh and having – every couple hundred yards there'd be a no trespassing sign or a private property sign or whatever, literally in the middle of the marsh, in the middle of nowhere. No houses around, no docks, nothing like that. Just wetland. No, yeah, no building. Yeah. 
you know, wetlands with, with private property signs all over them. And I would venture to say we didn't see any landowners or water owners like cruising around keeping people off their property. But I would venture to say that if you were on somebody's property in Louisiana in the marsh and they showed up and were not happy with you, that it would not end well. Because <laughs> quite honestly, I could see where you can dump a lot of people off in the, in the marsh and they'd never be found. <laughs> oh, they'd never be found. So, yeah. So, it, but it's funny because if you listen to the guides, they'll even tell you like on this side of the marsh, it's okay. Like no one messes with you. It's fine. The other side, which I guess is the other side of the Mississippi. Um, yeah, you don't do that. Like you, you don't run through somebody's private property, marshy area, whatever. Like, yeah, west yeah, side of the Mississippi, just, we're on the east side. West side, they seem to be more stringent about stay out of our water. Or the that's a, one of the benefits of having a guide in Mississippi is a lot of the guides grew up there. They know the landowners. They've got permission from the landowners to fish that water. So you go with a guide, and they've already cleared the way. They know where they can go, and they can't go, and they know, you know, they got friends and relationship built over many years. So it does make it easier. More expensive, but it makes it easier. Yeah. But that's, I mean, it's just crazy to see the the signs, like I said, out in the middle of nowhere. I will say this. Excuse me, I'm trying to blow some dust off this keyboard I've already somehow or another got dust on. Um, the coolest kayak launch I've ever seen was at the Hopedale Marina. And apparently it's not it's I'm late to the party on this, apparently. Because I posted about it, some folks were like, Oh yeah, it's just like the one over here or whatever. But we don't have kayak launches like that here in, in Florida. There there are none. Then again, you're not really dropping off the side of a seawall to go kayak fishing in Florida very often, so there's that. But what they did is they have a park, like a pull-up area, just like you would if you're going to launch a boat, not a ramp. Literally, just back it up to the seawall. You pull your kayak off the back of your truck or your off the top of your car. There's a big, about eight inch in diameter. PVC pipe that's been screwed down to a uh, block of wood that apparently is also attached to the concrete, which acts as a slide for your kayak, right? PVC is a great thing to use for a slide for your kayak because you're not going to scratch the bottom of your kayak up. And then you go, you transition from that piece of PVC to a series of two big rollers that are wider than, than any kayak will be. And then you proceed to continue to slide your kayak across those rollers and then they go down into the water in between floating docks much like you'd have docks for boats but narrower for kayaks so very cool i mean extremely cool i I mean whoever came up with that idea was is a genius and i'd like to see more launches implemented in the same design in some areas, even here in Florida, there's some spots, but in some places where there are also boat ramps, because quite frankly, it's just not, it's, the two don't mix very well. Boat ramps and kayak anglers just traditionally do not mix very well. 
The problem with us kayak, kayak anglers is that we are rarely ever completely ready to launch once we just pull up. We've got seats to install. We've got gear to put on the boat. You've got all kinds of things you need to attach to the kayak. You've got to put your PFD on. You've got things to do. Boaters don't have things to do. Boaters have, like, three things to do. Unlatch the back of the, you know, if you have, if you have uh, straps on the back of the boat on the transom, as you should anytime you trailer any boat, you unhook those, those couple straps, and then you move on to the bow, which most of the time you just unhook the chain and leave the, the bow hooked if you've got slick bunks because you don't want to drop your boat off on the concrete. Then you drop it in, boom, you, you unhook it, you step on the boat, boat slides off, you wrap it off onto the uh, piling or onto the cleat, and then you move your, your, you or your buddy move your truck out of the way, and then the next guy comes, and the next guy comes, and, and it's a nonstop revolving process. I have never seen a time where kayakers are using a boat ramp where they literally back down the ramp, pull the kayaks out of the back of the truck, move the truck, grab the kayaks, and go. It's a process. It's the nature of the beast. This eliminates any kind of an issue that you have between boaters and kayakers at the ramp, which is normally where most of the problems stem from, and it is truly the reason why most boaters don't like kayakers. Because, quote-unquote, we're always in the way. And it has nothing to do with being on the water. It has everything to do with it at the launch. But I have seen guys here in my own hometown, I have seen guys out at Port Canaveral take the better part of 15 minutes to launch their kayaks. You get everything gathered up and all their crap ready and all this kind of thing, and they tie up a ramp on a Saturday for 15 minutes or 20 minutes getting their stuff ready. And it's just, it, honestly, it's bad etiquette. It's, it's piss poor etiquette. But at the same time, I don't fault the kayakers for it because they, it's, again, the nature of the beast. You have, to, you have to have the time in order to set your stuff up. Hence, it would be nice to have kayak-specific launch areas at some of these boat ramps. It, obviously, there'd have to be quite a bit of kayak, uh, um, a qu- quite a big, quite a bit kayak presence in order to spend the money or justify spending the money on building out a kayak ramp or specific launch location. But even something as simple as just uh, indoor/outdoor carpeting or something that's on on the side of the, the the ramp where maybe the dirt is or whatever, something other than just dirt and rocks would be really cool. I mean, most of what we deal with here in Central Florida is dirt and rocks. So, but That water at the marina was pretty deep, too. It wasn't like you could just walk around the back end of your kayak. Right. That's probably yeah, like and, put a water. Reason, yeah, that's why they had that, that floating dock was, like, perfect for that. Yeah. I wouldn't want to step off in anything in the in Louisiana, just because I don't no. know. I don't know how deep a the water is, but I don't know how deep the mud is, or the dirt is, or the muck, or whatever's mm-hmm. down there. I'm, I'm sure there's probably a few layers of sediment <laughs> at the bottom of that mm-hmm. that man-made cut that's there. But uh, oh yeah, you know, and I and I think what's really important. For 
anglers to think about is traveling. I think it's important that you, get, you, you consider doing that, getting out of your comfort zone a little bit and going and fishing an area that you're not accustomed to, you're not used to, you're not comfortable with. Because honestly, um, A, it makes you a, a more well-rounded angler to be able to overcome those types of things, not knowing you know where to fish, what to fish with, whatever, whatever, whatever. Put in the due diligence to, to spend a little bit of time on the Internet and ask questions to people who live within the regions and that kind of thing. But especially as a kayak angler, because the kayak fishing community is a much more open community, or at least it is. It has been for years a much more open community to that kind of thing than the boating community. And so, you know, you got some resources out there where you can reach out and talk to folks and find out, you know, hey, you know, I'm thinking about taking a trip to such and such. Anybody fish there? Anybody on this particular fishing board, you know, live or fish this area? Can you give me a few tips? I'm not looking for spots, but looking for tips on just what base, the basics of what to bring. And then go explore and see if you can't make it happen. I mean, it's, it's really rewarding when, when you get an opportunity to do stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm biting at the bit. I want to get back down to, to um, Chukaluski or uh, Florida Bay and, you know, fish, fish down south again with Kwanzaa and some of those guys down there who fish for peacocks and clown knife fish and things. Like, there's... I want a clown knife fish on fly. I want a clown knife fish on fly in the worst way. Because I don't know of a whole lot of folks that have done it. I don't know of a whole lot of folks that even target it with fly. But I guarantee you with a sink tip or an intermediate line, because they tend to hang towards the bottom for what I understand, um, and a handful of different heavy-weighted clousers and such, I guarantee you it would happen. That would be so awesome. Are they sissy fish like the rest of the fish down there? Of course they are. They're in South Florida. No, you know, I don't know. I have, you know, what? I've never really spoken to somebody who has targeted them more than one or two times. Like I know some people who have caught them. Uh, Tammy Wilson has caught him. I know a few others that have caught him. Um, uh, Brian Neely's caught him. I think Kwanzaa's caught him. I know I know some folks have, that have caught him and targeted him. And I know some guys uh, who recently, and I can't remember who it was. Forgive me for that if you're listening. But somebody posted a picture on Facebook of their bottom machine, and you can see a small group of them. Like they have that that crazy new fan dangled sonar where like you can actually see the outline of the fish, <clears throat> and uh, you can see several of them sitting on the bottom or sitting near the bottom together. And it's obvious what it is by the body shape. So, you know, they get to be pretty good size, and I mean their body shape would, to me, would dictate that they are somewhat of a force to be reckoned with once one took they got they just look like they'd be strong you know what i mean some fish just look like they would be strong or, or uh interesting to fight and they're definitely one of those that i feel would be that 
But I'd really like to push off in the glades and go and explore some areas that are maybe more freshwater than saltwater and find big Oscars and big peacocks and stuff that haven't been molested like you'd find them in a ditch. You know what I mean? Right. A little bit more of a wild situation. Be, I, think, I honestly think it would be a lot of fun to go down there with a with a, a box full of gurglers and uh, clousers and little bait fish patterns and such and just see how many different species you can get in a weekend on fly. Right. Get away Those from the civilization, which is hard to do down there. What's that? Get away from the civilization, which is hard to do down there because there's so many people in such a small area. Yeah, well, see, and that's what I love about Flamingo. I think Flamingo is, to me, one of the, I mean, it's not what it once was, not like anything else in Florida, really, but um, it's one of those places that just, even though you're sitting at a campground, as soon as you push off and you're you're either out in Florida Bay or you're in the backcountry, you feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere. If you go a half a mile left or right outside of Flamingo, the campground, you are in the middle of nowhere. There is no more civilization. You're past it. Like you got nothing until you come all the way around to Chukaleski, uh to the to the west, or you you make it to Key Largo. Mm-hmm. So, and then in the back country, there's nothing. There's cheekies you can go camp on, but other than that, there's literally nothing back there between Coop Bay and, and, and uh, Whitewater Bay, uh, Hell's Bay, um, all those different areas that are back in there. I mean, it's just, it's, an, it's I don't think you could fish the whole place in a lifetime. There are skeeters and crocodiles. Flat. What's that? I said there's skeeters and crocodiles. Oh, gosh, is there skeeters? I don't even, I, 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 it bothers me to think about the mosquitoes. I fell asleep one time next to the tent. I was on uh, next to the side of the tent. I was on, I was in the tent, but I slept next to the window, and I, my back was towards the wall of the tent. And when I woke up in the morning, I had been chewed on relentlessly overnight. My whole back was itchy, and the, the noceums too. I mean, the mosquitoes you can kind of get away from if you're quick. What I've learned about that area down there is two things. First thing. You don't hang out late at night outside your tent. You pretty much just decide that, all right, the sun is thinking about going down. I'm going to go ahead and get inside the tent. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's literally like, what's that movie with Will Smith where um, we, we talked about it? I use, you try to use it as a reference, but you don't watch movies much. There's, uh, what, babe, what's the, what's the name of that movie with Will Smith where um, – uh, he's in New York, and there's like a plague goes around. And oh. you remember what it's called? I don't anyway, really good movie. But the, the the premise of the movie is that the 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 humanoids, the people that have been transformed because of this virus, they come out at night. They're, they can't deal with the sunlight. They come out at night, and that's pretty much how the mosquitoes are down there. Like literally, you take that movie and you insert Will Smith in the Everglades, and you change the characters of the humanoid zombie things into mosquitoes, and that is exactly what it's like. Like, you, you, you want to put up steel curtains. You want to 
hide underneath a blanket. I am legend. That's the name of the movie. I am legend. Like you want to hide underneath a blanket. You want to put up steel curtains. You, you, you don't, you want to bar the windows. Ideally you'd have an RV down there. Uh, exactly. Or, or, you know, cause then you got, well, then you got air conditioning too, which is always nice. Okeechobee's the same but, way. Oh yeah, Okeechobee is definitely the same way. I used to, I fish. You got to get off the water times. by dark. Yeah. Listen. I fished Okeechobee a few times in my younger days with my mom and my dad. We'd go down there and stay at the KOA. It's just outside the lake and go through locks to get in the lake. And I did a lot of pan fishing down there more so than I did bass fishing. But anyway. Um. But, you know, no matter where you live in the country, no matter where you live in the world, uh, you have areas that you probably have thought about wanting to go fish. You probably have a bucket list full of species of fish that you want to try and go catch. If they're within a day's drive of where you live, go do it. Just go do it. You owe it to yourself to go and try and make that happen. There's, to me, there's nothing that's uh, as rewarding as doing that. Going out and finding a spot that may have those fish, that may have that species you've been dying to catch, and then going and making it happen. I mean, something as simple as for me going down south and catching peacocks, that doesn't get old. Like, that, that, that will never get old. Because I enjoy watching a peacock bass just be a peacock bass. I, I mean, catching them is great. Seeing them in the water interact with other peacocks and see the way they move and the way they stalk things or just kind of hang out or try and, you know, hide amongst rocks or not hide at all. Some down a shoreline full of sandy bottom and watch them shoot in and eat a fly or watch them eat a plug or whatever. It's, it's a lot of fun, you know. It's a lot of fun. If you're thinking about coming down to Florida to do some South Florida ditch fishing, if you will, you know, get jump on Facebook and hit up some of those people I mentioned. Kwanzaa Henderson is, is a great uh, resource when it comes to peacocks and such. In fact, I think he's doing land-based guiding now. So you don't have to bring a kayak. Just show up. And, uh, you know, he'll meet up with you and take you around and show you some spots. He did that for me. And he brought me to one spot that even you would have caught one, James. We'll say that again. James gave me so much crap <laughs> while I was down in Louisiana, and I tried to give it back to him, and it didn't work because he caught the first redfish of the trip. And it was like, oh, all right then, I'll just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I just, you know, like I said, I feel like it's important to uh, to do the best that you to do the best that you can uh, as far as trying to find those those species that you may have dreamt about catching or whatever. But a lot a lot of times it's a lot more obtainable than you may think. I recently saw a uh, we'll, we'll end it with this little conversation. Um, I recently saw a post from a very well-respected charter captain who fishes the Flamingo area quite a bit and, and the Keys and such. 
and he was talking about how nice it is to see a resurgence in the population of bonefish down there, which is music to my ears because I still have not caught said bonefish, and I need to catch said bonefish because it is my number one bucket list species. So now that I have the little right water 12 at my disposal, uh, I know it's not a kayak, but now that I have the little right water 12 at my disposal, I am probably going to try and do some sort of a South Florida trip, maybe more than likely to uh, Biscayne Bay or something like that for the first time, taking that boat down there. But I, I really, really want to get that scratch that off the list and and james you need to go with me so we'll have to set that up we can do that because that'll be fun and i think it would be awesome if i were to get my first bonefish from that platform since i had a hand in designing and and, uh the whole thing with that so it'll be fun that would be awesome Although you're probably going to do it before I I get a chance to do it because you're going to go possibly over to the Bahamas in September. So there's that. Yep. <laughs> did you see our buddy? Did you see our buddy Jennifer posted two bonefish in the Keys this week out of a slayer, not a slayer, but a native ultimate. She's got a new native ultimate twelve, the new one, the pro model, whatever it is. She posted two nice bones out of her. You can see you can see she's in her in her uh, ultimate. By the front hatch, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I did not see that. No, I'll have to go look for it. Yep. Yeah. You know, um, that's the other thing. There's one more thing I want to talk about tonight. I mean, listen, folks, there's publications out there that are owned by individuals that are truly uh, deep down inside, like, great people and uh, incredible voices for the fishing community. Um, one of which is Jen Dunn, uh, Jennifer Dunn, who uh, owns Dunn Magazine. And uh, no, Dunn, Ripple. Chuck, really? Jen Ripple. And she owns Dunn Magazine, Jen Dunn. Like, she named the magazine after herself. Come on, Chuck. <laughs> it's getting late. I'm sorry. I'm tired. Um, but, like, Dunn Magazine. There's a number of publications that are out there now that are well worth the money that you'd spend to get a subscription. I know magazines typically are not something that a lot of people order anymore. People, you know, typically just go online and find the information they're looking for. But the publications that are available today far exceed the publications that were available five years ago. As far as photography and the layout, I mean, we're talking about like a magazine that if you had uh, a sitting room in your home, you could throw it on a coffee table and it could take the place of a good book. Like that nice. So seek those out. Support some of those uh, publications. I know some of them are can be a little pricey for a magazine, but when you look and see the quality of what you what you get, the photography that's that's put within the magazine, the articles that are written by incredible anglers and guides, 
uh, I think it's really, really important that uh, that we support them so they don't go away. Because me personally, I'm tired of seeing magazines that look like a pamphlet and are more about advertising than they are about the actual content within. And with that, I'm off my soapbox. Anything new and exciting, sir, you'd like to share before we end the evening? Uh, I got a new seven weight. You got a new seven weight. What'd you get? Mm-hmm. That new Sage, um, it's got a name. I don't even want to say the name. I don't know who came up with the name for this rod, but it's kind of What's embarrassing. But it, I don't remember. Hold on. <laughs> you don't remember. You just got it. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't worry about things like that. <laughs> names, names, names. Hold names, on. Names. Uh, fly rod. <laughs> uh, Bob Bell. Appreciate you joining us in the chat room, sir. One of these nights you're gonna have to call us, man. Give us a shout. That'd be cool. Get to chit chat with you. Maybe if I promoted, excuse me, maybe if I promoted the podcast a little bit more on social media, like leading up to the show, like maybe like beginning of the week or something, like I used to do, send out invites and such. Perhaps then I'll get, you know, a, a good, a decent number of people within the chat rooms that Bob has people to talk to while he's in the chat room. It never hurts. Never hurts to tell people beforehand. Um, No, I know they got to be able to plan and stuff, but I just, you know, my problem is lately I I just, I either feel like doing a show or I don't feel like doing a show. And if I, if it's Tuesday and I don't feel like doing a show, then I'm going to do one on Wednesday. And maybe I don't feel like doing it on Wednesday. I'll do it Thursday for Alex. You know, okay. if Alex has got something going on. Sometimes I don't, I don't feel like doing it by myself. If I don't know, you're going to call in. I did that for a bunch of years you know, by myself show. Unless people called in, you know, I just kind of hosted it by myself and it's fine. I could do it, but it's, it's still, I enjoyed this better even though I do most of the rambling and I need to learn to shut up and let other people talk. So the name of the fly rod is the igniter. <laughs> I know. That's why you I didn't got, want to say it. No, it's embarrassing. I told the boys at the fish hawk where I get, you know, all my stuff from. Yeah. The seven weight's really nice. They had five, I think they had a five, six and seven and the seven's really nice. And I was looking for a new seven. And I said, I heard they're replacing the method. And they said, yeah. I said, is that it? They're like, yeah. So what's the name? They said the igniter. I said, what? What? I'm like, call Raz. Raz is the sage rep for the Southeast. He's yeah, been doing Raz it for decades. Yep. I said, call Raz and tell him that whoever came up with that name needs to be fired. I don't care who it was, fire him. I don't care if it was Jerry himself. I'm like, that's horrible. So... I don't look at the name on the rod. I try to avoid it because, really? Really? Oh, I got you. Ignited. Yeah. No, just no. Mm-mm. Sorry. Doesn't Igniter. Work. Igniter. 
Sounds like a barbecue thing. It does, like the like the igniter like, stick lighter. Yeah, like something you see on an infomercial late at night for nine ninety nine. If you order now, you get two igniter for the barbecue. Yeah. But the seven the weight igniter. is a, exactly the seven weight is a sweet throwing rod. So we will see how it does. When I fight a fish with it, because casting and landing a fish are two different things. This is true. As you well know. Ladies so and gentlemen, your opportunity has come. You've waited long enough. The igniter. Yeah, I know. It's horrible. Age. It's horrible. I'm like, Set the water <laughs> on fire. Yeah. <laughs> the only water I, the only water I've ever heard burning was up there in Chicago before the zebra mussels. It was that polluted. So, listen, I would yeah. almost guarantee you that if you were to set open flame to South Florida's water anywhere near Okeechobee, it would combust. I don't think it would combust, it's, but if you put your finger in there with a cut, you'd die within a day. Once it was just one man and the Everglades and the Igniter. (laughs) (laughs) That is a horrible name. I'm not going to lie. That is horrible for a fly rod. It doesn't make any damn sense. No, and I think they've got even a worse, uh, I think they have another one coming out with even a worse name. You ready for this? I think they have a trout rod coming out. With the name of Dart, D A R T. Dart. Dart. A trout rod. Really? Hmm. Trout rods tend to be slower in action, and you're going to call it a dart? Really? What what genius came up with that name? And it's not even like darts are super accurate. Uh. Uh-uh. You could call it like Put a you sniper. Out of those things. Sniper? I don't know. <laughs> the sniper. I like the old names like XP, RPLX, you know. A couple letters. XI, XI2, XI3. The salt is okay. You know, their new saltwater rod. Say salt. That's okay. And like Salt, Scott, Scott, method, all that kind of stuff is good. Yeah. Scott's got a Meridian. Okay, that's all right. That's not bad. Right? G2, Radian. Yeah, okay. Not too bad. Igniter. But Igniter, really? Dart, really? Dart's a car. Remember the old Dodge Dart from the late 60s? <laughs> And it wasn't even a car like a lot of people wanted. It was just a car. So I'm, I'm just saying. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, well, exactly. now I'm going to have to go down to Harry Goods and see if he's got any igniters in stock. So I can check one out. See if it sets my hands on fire. It might. It's a dark red on top of that. Is it dark red? Yeah, kind of a cherry, you know, a dark red 
burgundy I guess you'd call it burgundy. I like burgundy. To go, I mean, you know, if it's like nighter, you'd think it'd be a bright red, like the method. Just saying. Or orange and yellow. Yeah, exactly. And orange with flames on it, like on the base right. section. Flames. The section. Right. Built-in flames on the cork. <laughs> Just saying. The igniter. Cool. Well, enjoy that, sir. Let me know what you think. I will. Hopefully I'm you get a this big weekend old carp or something on it. That's the goal this weekend. We're going to go to the lake, so we'll see. Excellent. I'm going to go and uh, run the Whitewater 12 Sunday morning, try and get some photos, maybe some video, maybe catch a fish if I can find one. And uh, maybe tie a few more flies. This weekend, not a bad idea. We have a, a birthday party to attend on Saturday. Um, my wife's one of my wife's best friends, Ada. How old is Ada going to be? Lordy, lordy, she'll be forty. She is forty. Oh, she turned forty. Those are good years. Forty. Those are great. I'm almost there. Man, forties, forties, forties were great. Fifties, not so much. I hope forties are great. I'm ready for. Oh uh, yeah. All right, man. Well, we appreciate you guys listening, tuning in, joining us, dealing with the shenanigans that is kayak fishing radio. If you guys have any comments, questions, or concerns, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram. Shoot me an email if any questions you may have. Redfishchuck at gmail.com. And redfishchuck at hotmail.com. I can't believe I still use the Hotmail address. Oh, well. All right. Folks, take a kid fishing near the future of our sport. Wear your PFDs when applicable. Repliable. Fly. Wear them. Uh, If you're not familiar with Florida's water issues, please familiarize yourself with it so that you can maybe prevent your region from becoming a cesspool much like most of Florida. (laughs) Yay, cesspool. There you go. Log (laughs) jam. See you next year. Next year? Next week. See ya.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.